Welcome to Stand at the Table. We are friends in community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best relationships come when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. Welcome, 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 everybody, to Staying at the Table. We're excited to be back with you this morning. And we have such a special treat. I'm so excited for today's recording. First, we have Matt Kistler with us. He is back. The gang is back together again. We have the Reverend James Beatty. Yay. We have me, Reverend Dr. Tracy Saletta, and we have our phenomenal Dave Moore, who really, really worked hard today, um, who's just amazing, our sound guy. And we have with us today, all the way from Canada, we have David Hayward, also known as the Naked Pastor, who we are so excited that he decided to come on with us today. Um, he is a pastor, uh, 30 years a pastor, and I think it's in 2010 or 2011 that he uh, decided to leave the ministry and begin a, a discovery on deconstruction, freedom, what it means to be a follower of God, and you can see his journey within his artwork, which is amazing, which in his cartoons. Um, he has written nine books. I mean, this is, this is somebody who really has walked the path. And as everybody knows, we have started about three, four, maybe five years ago on our own path as a church community. And I first ran into David um, on Instagram. Uh, we had somebody, Sophia Futris, the Unlocked Artist, who started following him, and she shared him with me. And I just started seeing his works, um, his cartoons on the LGBTQ, on the church, on the things that the, the the damage that the church does. And I was like, "Wow, this 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 is amazing." And Sophia and David and I did a Instagram live. That's when I first met him face to face, or as face to face as you can on Instagram. Just such a great conversation, and he's so interesting. And so we decided that we were going to start talking with people who have deconstructed and gone before us and their stories, and this is the first in a series of that. And so we're so, so excited to have David Hayward, the Naked Pastor, with us on Staying at the Table. So, David, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on your show. Good to see you again. Good to see you. So, so excited. So I guess where I want to start is... Um, An icebreaker. No, no icebreakers. No, <laughs> uh-uh, I'm leading today. No. <laughs> okay. Where I want to start today, he likes to do icebreakers and I don't. So when he leads, he, he gets to do them. So, um, but what was the icebreaker, no. man? No. Let me ask you, did you have one? We, no. Okay, good. That was your joke. Well, okay. What is it, a joke or something? No, it's... Usually, usually it's something like but it has to be not you know, tell serious. us a story about your history just to get to know each other better. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got a story if you like. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, David. 
Did you hear they're 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 developing a um, air freshener that's mind controlled? No. When you think about it, it makes sense. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, there you go. That's that's great. All right, back to the show. Um, wow. Yeah. So anyway, so David, I kind of want to hear, you know, just the beginning of your story. How you came to really looking and saying, I, I can't be here anymore. You know, this mm. is just, just the process of that change and, mm. and you getting to that place where you said, I got to step aside, that this isn't what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's an interesting question because I asked that question a lot all the way through my history, actually. Makes sense. <laughs> it didn't just happen at the end, uh, and which wasn't March of 2010 when I, when I finally left the paid clergy ministry, institutional church, and so on. Um, but I, I grew up in a home that was uh, very religious, Christian. Um, my dad was a, a police officer who got transferred around a lot in Ontario. He was a, a member of the OPP, Ontario Provincial Police. So we we were transferred around Ontario a lot. And so we just went to whatever church was convenient, closest, the best, whatever. And so I, you know, even though I was um, born and, and I was baptized as a baby Anglican, which would be your Episcopal, um, <clears throat> I grew up in a very diverse kind of a religious Christian um, setting. So I never grew up feeling loyal to any one denomination. Mm. I call myself my own ecumenical movement because I just talked <laughs> in different churches. And so on the one hand, um, some people might see that it is a disadvantage, but on the other hand, um, I never felt uh, committed or, or needed to be loyal to any one denomination. And I found myself gravitating to whatever um, community or church or denomination or theology I felt was best at the time, to be honest. And and so anyway, I, I became a real Christian when I was about 16 years old. Uh, I got saved at a Baptist youth group. We ended up going to that church for about a year, and then we switched to Pentecostal. Um, and I was I was in the deep end. Like I loved it. I was totally devoted. I was a complete Bible freak. I still have my Bibles from when I was a teenager, mm. all underlined and written in the margins. And um, went to all the youth retreats and conferences and everything. Then I, I I continued in that vein. Went to a, a Pentecostal Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, um, and. Met my wife, Lisa, there. And from there, we went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where I got my master's in New Testament studies with all the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and you name it. Um, I went from there to Toronto to start my PhD in New Testament studies and because my intention was to be a Bible scholar. But um, we ended up getting pregnant, couldn't afford continuing in the PhD program. And the easy way out, I was offered uh, a, a church as a student minister. Wow. And I uh, actually a couple churches. So I, I took that because it provided me with income, gave me something to do. Uh, I got, got the equivalent of an MDiv while I did that. And then, um, you know, could support my family and, and so on. And I ended up getting ordained 
<laughs> kind of in the uh, back just door. Just kind of tripping into this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my life feels like that a lot where I just kind of end up somewhere. And, um, you know, I remember the night of my ordination saying, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And I was getting ordained with friends in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, by the way. So uh, I don't know how I got from Pentecostal to Presbyterian, but it's in the same letter of the alphabet anyway. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting ordained to the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And... Um, ended up serving that for, uh, you know, many years, uh, got bored with that. And we ended up in the Vineyard Church. I don't know if you've heard of that, but oh, yeah. it's a, sort of a mixture between Pentecostal and Baptist. And, um, and, and that's where I ended up serving the church until I left the ministry in 2010. But all the way through that, when I was, when I was actually, um, graduating from my master's at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary near Boston, I uh, I was totally, like I was studying under Dr. Gordon Fee and, and other New Testament scholars, Old Testament scholars, and Greek and Hebrew. Like, I, I'm serious. I was a complete 100% Bible freak. And, and um, I read a book quite by accident. It wasn't on any of the syllabi. And um, I, I had some time. I'd done all my papers. I'd done all my presentations. I, you know, I was just waiting to graduate. And I, I was down in Harvard and saw a book, and I bought it, and uh, I read it, and it completely messed with me. <laughs> Where I, I ended up questioning the inspiration of scripture. Now, I, people are going to say, "What was the book? What was the book?" So I'm going to tell you now. Uh, it's really not that significant a book. Never really made a splash in the theological world or the biblical world or anything, but it made a splash in my life, that's for sure. Uh, and it's called um, The Silence of Jesus by James Breach. And, and mm. so I, I read that book and it ended up throwing a grenade into my biblicism, let's say. And um, it sort of shook shook me to the point where I was already in my robes and everything, getting ready to go to the graduation ceremony. And my wife is like grabbing me by the shoulders and saying, you have to go to your graduation. Wow. I was freaking out. And um, I ended up graduating, you know, going through all the steps, getting ordained and everything. But that, I compare it to corrupt computer code or something being inserted into my theological mind. And it just started doing its work. Uh, and that's what, when people say, when did you start deconstructing? That's when it started. But for me, it was like a glacial melt. It was just a very, very slow, painful process that I did all the while I was in ministry. And um, so for me, I I continually gradu gravitated towards communities where I felt I had the room to grow and to explore and to be myself. And I did that successfully until um, the last church where I pastored, where it was a vineyard. And I was there for, I don't know, around 15 years or something. Um, and it was great. I enjoyed it, loved it. But it got to the point where I knew my need to continue going down my path was going to cause more problems for the congregation than good. And it, we we got to this place, the church and me, where we agreed it was better for me to to go my own way and the and the church its own way. So I want and, can I interrupt you? 
Yeah, so please do. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, at the time of your graduation, there was a seed that was planted. Yes. And I'm curious, what was it in that book or what was it uh, not even about? What was it in that book that that kind of blew your mind? Do you? So I, yeah. So I grew up in, in churches that taught the three eyes, right? Infallible, inspired, um, inerrant. The Bible was all three of those things. And um, I, I totally assumed it to be true, believed it to be true. And and so I, I, I got my BA in Bible and theology. I got my master's in New Testament studies. I was starting my PhD at, at Toronto University in New Testament studies. You know, I took years of Greek, years of Hebrew, a uh, year of Aramaic, theological French, theological German. I was on my way. But the, this book basically um, uh, took the sayings of Jesus. His conclusions were that there was probably seven of Jesus' sayings that were truly authentic. And then he proceeded to apply a Nietzschean uh, hermeneutic to those seven sayings and wow. so on and so forth. And what it did was... Um, you know, whether or not you agree with that, I I don't necessarily agree with all that. What it did, though, was it just inserted some doubt. Mm. And so for me, for me, it was like the Jenga block tower uh, that was that was fine until that one block was removed. And then it started to waver. And that's what the way it felt with my my um, certitude about about inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the scripture. It just placed the doubt there. And then and then that began my my quest to to truly truly try to understand what was going on. I really like what you said, my certitude, because mm. it it's so often that's the first thing that gets attacked is not attacked, that's a bad word, but the first thing that starts to get shaken is we're just so certain that we know what we know. And mm-hmm. then this little doubt gets sown and you go, wait a minute, it's not it's not what I thought. And mm-hmm. it just starts you on this journey. Yeah, I just didn't know. Do either you one are, of you have a question uh, are, are ready to go into the part where as a leader within the church, you start to question your own growth versus the growth of your church community. And what were they able to take or not take? So whether you're ready to go into that now mm-hmm. or want to address it later, I'll be very interested to understand that part of your thinking. Yeah, so like I suggested earlier, I always struggled with my call to ministry. I I, I have friends who, you know, they they their call to ministry was like lightning from heaven, a burning bush experience. I never had that. For me, um, it, it's it's like Tracy said. I sort of accidentally found myself, you know, here or there or whatever. And um, you know, I've been to therapy about that. <laughs> and and the, and the therapist actually like, well, maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe the, you know, you just like made decisions and you ended up there, which is partly true. But I did struggle with uh, being in the ministry. Um, I, because I, I was totally a head guy and, and being in the ministry, um, requires a lot of heart. And, you know, I, I felt though 
that I I developed some gifts and and talent and so on as a pastor. I, f- I feel I was a pretty good pastor, um, and I did a I did a pretty good job. And especially the last church I was in, it was a wonderful community. But for me, the most important I think and deepest drive that I have in my life ever since I can remember is I want to be free to be my, myself. Mm. I need to be me. I need to be free to be my authentic self. And so. Um, for me, I always gravitated towards churches that I felt that we could do that together as an experiment, as a congregation. The last church I did that in, it was great. We were moving along together. Everybody felt free to be themselves. I felt free. But I, I it got to the point where me being free to be myself didn't look as orthodox as maybe some people thought it should. Because and 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 so I I felt myself feeling like I was um, getting to the point where and and this is what I I always wanted a, a clear kind of indication that it would be time for me to leave when either my personal health was at risk or the church's health was at risk and and one night there was a meeting and. Everybody was talking, and I realized at that meeting, I, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, because of what I was feeling was people were trying to limit and control the direction I was going in and manage it um, and, and so on. And I knew I, I, I couldn't do that. And I'll give you an example. About a year before I quit, I got a call from head office, and they were – expressing concern because they were getting letters of concern and emails of concern from others because I was blogging at the time and me being naive, yeah. and innocent, um, was just sharing my journey. And people were saying, are you aware you have a heretic in your ranks? <laughs> and, and, I love it. And, and, and so I got the call and okay. they were basically yeah. saying, we'd like you to run all your posts through us first. Wow. And, and we'll we'll give you approval or not. And I'm like, um, this, and so that goes exactly against my primary drive to be my authentic self. And and um, so I knew my time was up. And within yeah, a year, I yeah, was. Gone. It does that you What's started getting feedback your from question, members Jamie? within your church James? community. That hey, this is you know this is a bridge too far. And you're saying, yeah. well, that's fine. I understand yeah. where you are, but I must continue. Yeah. And and you're right. It was fine. I don't I don't judge that. Like if the church wants to be a certain way, that's their right to be that way. Um, and I also have the right to decide whether or not I want to be a, be a part of that vision or, or whatever. So for me, yeah. I felt the it only does. way I could continue on my path was by departing. Yeah. You started out talking about how the doubt around scripture and errancy was kind of the seed. And mm-hmm. as you're talking about the church and orthodoxy, were there other elements that then that doubt kind of spread into? Like what were the the the, the pieces that started to fall when it came to interacting with the church and saying, hey, I'm not this anymore? So for me, deconstruction um, is vast. It covers everything. Uh, when When you decide that you are going to open yourself up to 
uh, mystery and you want to you want to know, you want to seek the truth and so on. For me, deconstruction sort of characterizes that and you can't pick and choose what deconstruction is going to attack mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> use a strong it, it go and and if you if you have the courage and if you do want to go all the way deconstruction goes after everything it 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 must actually. so true and so even i'm i'm posting a post later today where deconstruction doesn't just it's not just questioning your beliefs it's questioning belief itself like you, it goes all the way to the roots of the roots. So, um, it it involved it involved everything. Now, at the same time, I was a pastor, and a pastor of a wonderful community of people, a church, and um, so uh, I was very open about it. Um, I was open with my leadership team. We developed what we called open round tables where we would have leadership meetings, but we would also, anybody was welcome to come. It was an open round table, what we called. We were trying to figure out ways where we could do this together as a community where um, we could figure out democratically how to be a community of people who weren't um, certain, you know, who were on this journey of deconstruction and how we could be our authentic selves together. I want to make sure that our audience. And I, I, I enjoyed uh, that project. Your, it was a lot of fun. That your seeds, right? So, our audience is. I would sure. say the majority of them are not classically trained in either Bible studies or theology. And you said mm-hmm. one of the seeds uh, was from the book, and it talked about there's you know mm-hmm. seven true sayings of, G, of Jesus, and then you said he utilized utilize a Nietzschean view. Right. So I want you to, for them to, for you to explain to them what you mean by that and what you mean by hermeneutic. So hermeneutic basically is the, how, how we, how we interpret scripture and, um, that this, wow, we could go down. Yeah. Don't go too far. Bunny trail. So for me, uh, what what sort of shocked me and and rattled my cage was to realize that there are different hermeneutics. In other words, there are different ways to interpret the Bible. Yes, we all come with our own preconceived ideas, our own worldviews, our own paradigms, our our own privileges, our own whatever and and biases. Uh, prejudices, and yes. we bring that to to the Bible. And when we read it, we we sort of take from it um, what we sort of read into it. So this is one of the things I learned, you know, in Bible college and seminary and so on. But this book sort of drove it home was um, that we we all come to the Bible with our own um, biases, and we need to be aware of what those biases are. And and so that we can truly try to understand what the Bible is saying. So that's that's what I mean by by hermeneutic, and that's why it sort of rattled my cage so much was because I realized that I had just assumed the Bible was saying a certain thing when there were other ways to interpret it, and other uh, you know other angles or worldviews or paradigms from which to understand understand it. So that's why it it. Uh, 
upset me so much and sent me on a journey of trying to understand what it meant because I didn't, I, you know, I know a lot of people who let's say um, I'm going to simplify this, but a lot of people who realize, Oh, I don't, I don't believe the world was created in six days. And then they, they say, therefore the whole Bible is baloney. The whole thing is lying to me. I've been duped. And they reject it all and walk away. I, d- I didn't want to do that because I valued the Bible. I valued scripture. I valued the church. I valued community. I valued Christianity. And But I had to figure out, okay, with this new information, how am I going to integrate all this in a way that makes sense to me and that I can live with, with integrity? So that was my journey. And I'm interested in what were the like you said, in deconstruction, you can let it go as deep as you let it. Like it'll go all the way to, is there God? Is there faith? What, you know, were there any boundaries you put on that for yourself to say, I'm going to assume these as given regardless? Or how did you navigate that as you kind of went through the process? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think, and I, I do talk about this a lot because, you know, I'm sort of in that world now where there's a lot of people um, who read my work or see my cartoons or whatever, who are also on that same journey. And I do remember saying, OK, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let this questioning thing go. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go on this path, but I'll never give up on Jesus. Okay. A lot of people say that. I'll never give up on Jesus. But what if, and for me, it was like, okay, wait a minute. Um, what if we, what if we do realize like there's four different accounts of the life of Jesus. There's places where they don't seem to gel, you know, what does this mean? You know, and we can, we can bend over backwards trying to harmonize those four different takes. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can we can go another way and say there were four different interpretations of one event or whatever, and and like four different angles of a of a car accident. Everybody has a different view, a different opinion right. of what happened, and and a different conclusion. And so, but but for me, even though that's easy to say, it's cataclysmically traumatic to people uh, like me who who had one hundred percent all in on the Bible. Mm -hmm. I was all in and, and completely devoted, um, you know, 100%. But that one little seed of doubt was all it took for me to, to realize I I was, I was in for a journey that, um, you know, was going to maybe challenge everything I believed, even though I, 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 would set out and saying, okay, whatever happens, I'm not going to give up on this or this or this or that, you know, yeah. yeah. What what's so interesting to me in all that you're saying is, you know, as a pastor, as the lead pastor, you know, here at Cornerstone, and right. I just remember standing behind the pulpit sometimes preaching and going, Do I even believe this anymore? Like like I'm preaching this sermon and I feel inauthentic and knew I was deconstructing and knew that I had so many different thoughts. And that, and you know, when I'm hearing you talk about the groups that you were forming, you know, we even kind of changed our our uh, language and and consider ourselves to be centered set, meaning, you know, where our where our 
uh, rather than bounded set, whereas bounded set says, if you follow this, you're in. If you do not follow this, you're out. And centered set says, well, if if your face is, is directed toward Jesus. So we still have the bounded set of Jesus, but but it's not that you're out. It's that we look and say, you know, part of our theology is Jesus. And mm-hmm. your, your triggering within me is, you know, sometimes as I look, because it did cost our church, right? It, it absolutely did cost our church. We went from between two and 250, you know, down to 100. And it, it cost us financially. We just, it, it cost us. So it's interesting there is a question in there. Is is that you know the elders or, or the leaders of your church coming to you and you making that decision? If I continue doing this with the church, I will harm the church. And you know, in in our context, I looked at the elders. We looked at one another and said, "What do we do?" And we said, "We're going to go forward." you know, and, and journey down this path. We weren't calling it deconstruction at that point. We were just becoming inclusive. We were recognizing being centered set. We were recognizing it, you know, the Bible just isn't as clear as people want to make it. And so I'm curious back to that moment with the leadership and you separating, you know, what kind of feelings did you experience? Like, were you hurt? Were you okay? Did you feel free? Like, what <laughs> what happened to you? And, you know, there's another person with you, and that's your wife. And mm-hmm. and and I don't know if you have children, but your family. I mean, what what was happening there? I think there's like 14 questions in there, but just answer whichever one <laughs> you want to land yeah. on. So let me let me give you a little bit of background. I was in the Presbyterian Church. I was bored out of my skull. Right. Um, and I didn't know what to what to do. Um, I, I had pastored. I mean, I'm telling you a little bit of a story because you you provoked me to to share the story because uh, great. I was in the Presbyterian Church serving for many years, and and I had a country charge of three churches. I preached three times every Sunday, drove 150 miles round trip uh, every Sunday, and these three little country churches. Anyway, I was asked if I would plant a church in a in a near a city and a Presbyterian church, and I agreed to. And I thought this is great. Because now I'll be able to start a church from scratch and I can make it what I want, like my my idea of what a church should be. But within two years, I it fell into that Presbyterian rut. I just like fell into that. And I was bored out of my skull. <laughs> I felt so depressed, so hopeless. But I, 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 I went to sleep one night completely hopeless. <laughs> and I woke up the next morning realizing, hey, I'm not trapped. I can just quit. <laughs> that is an option. <laughs> and so I said to Lisa, and I was so happy. I was laughing. The kids came, jumped on the bed. We were all laughing. <laughs> Party time. I, said, I'm, I can, we can just quit. And Lisa's like, okay, you know, and so we, we did, we sold everything we could, packed everything in our minivan and our little trailer and drove away. Wow. And we moved to this town because we'd heard about it. And heard about a local church here that we really liked the sound of. It was a vineyard church. 
we moved here. Um, we fell in love with the community. They fell in love with us. A year later, the pastor left and asked if I would take over the church for him. And I took over the church for him. <laughs> and I, I, I was the pastor of that vineyard church then. Within a year, though, the church split. Mm. Because uh, I didn't do things exactly as a former pastor did. Yes. There was some interference and all this kind of thing. Oh, anyway, yeah. long story short was the leadership team was, we want you to be the pastor. You want we want you to lead us. We're on we're in this together. We're going to do this together. And uh let's go. Let's do this. And we basically we made an announcement on a Sunday. We're gonna we're gonna pastor the church locally. Like we're 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 pastoring, we're who we are. You're free to be you, you know, we're gonna do this together. And our church split that Sunday. It split wow. in the middle. And um, because I decided and the leadership team decided that we weren't going to do things the same old way. Uh, and I'll give you an example. The previous uh, pastor believed in tithing and the, the offerings were amazing. <laughs> but I announced, I said, Listen, I, people ask me, I said, I, I don't believe in tithing. And if some people don't know what that means, it means 10% of your income you give to the church. When everybody in the church does that, wow, man, there's a budget. Let me talk to you. There's a budget, and it's it's great. When I announced it, our offerings were, the next week, they went and cut in half. We not only lost half our people, we lost half the money, half, you know, all this. It meant, you know, having to um, let staff go. It meant, all, it was just devastating. And, um, but that was the cost of deciding we're going to, we're going to be who we are. We're going to allow people to be free who they are. We're going to provide a safe space for people to be their authentic selves. We're going to be honest. Um, you know, I'm going to say, I don't believe in tithing. Okay. We lose half our money. So be it, you know, kind of thing. But this was the way it happened. So that leadership team was the same leadership team, basically that uh, we, I had years later when I ended up leaving the ministry. So the whole while we were in that journey together was us growing together. We were like, I, I never felt top down. I never felt like I was, you know, I never preached from up here, down there. I was always on the same level. Yeah. Um, it was more like a discussion, question and answer. We were in this together. We were searching together, exploring together. It's very democratic, very level, and um, very, very real, very authentic. I loved it, but it it got to the point where um, I felt I, for me to continue to grow, it's it it stopped for some people. It felt like I was. Um, and including the denomination, the Vineyard Church, it felt like I was not falling in line theologically uh, with the denomination and, and so on. And I knew, I knew if I continued down this path, I, I could have reined myself in and stayed, but I, I can't, I can't do that. I, I have to continue growing. And up to that point, the church was I felt like I had all the room in the world until I realized that I didn't. There was there was a line, and I apparently crossed the line, and we needed to talk about it. 
And so we had a meeting one night and it was made clear to me, you have to, we want the same old David back kind of thing. <laughs> and I realized, okay, um, the time has come. And, and I said, you know, it's, it's, it's come very clear to me uh, that we need an amicable divorce. And, and they, they agreed. It was completely agreed. And I, Lisa was working. She's a nurse. I, I texted her. I said, honey, I'm done. And she said, so am I. And uh, within a, within a, within the month I was gone and there was a new pastor in place. And the next two years was bad. Yes. Um, and Lisa and I had a lot of things to work through a lot to work through. And, um, but now I'm happier than I've ever been. That's good. But that transition from leaving, leaving the ministry and the organized church and everything like that for the next couple of years was very, very, very rough. Okay. I'm going to pause you there, David, because we have to take a pause in our podcast sure. so that we can, um, Thank everybody for joining us today. This is such an interesting conversation, and I can't help it. I'm identifying with David so much. It's like he's telling my story. Um, but we are going to continue this conversation, and uh, just thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. You'll hear part two next time. And David, thank you so much for your, for your authenticity and Thank you to James and Matt and, of course, David. David, I'm calling David. That's hilarious. Dave Moore. <laughs> Thank you for that. Have and we day. will be back next, next couple weeks. So we'll see you then. Thanks. See y'all. Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, Matthew Kissler, and James Beatty and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment? or a topic you want discussed, email us at adminccf at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com. Cornerstone.